Friends, let us pray. Holy and merciful God, help us to hear your word. Break down in us all that resists your will and plant in us a willingness to turn. And by your spirit, come to us now in ancient texts, in everyday visions, and draw us to you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Today's sermon text comes from the Old Testament, from the words of the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 18, verses 1 through 11. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Come, go down to the potter's house. And there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. The vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. And he reworked it into another vessel, as seemed good to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Can I not do with you, O house of Israel, just as this potter has done, says the Lord? Just like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. At one moment I may declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it. But if that nation concerning which I have spoken, turns from its evil, I will change my mind about the disaster that I intended to bring on it. And at another moment I may declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it. But if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will change my mind about the good that I had intended to do to it. Now therefore, say to the people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, Look, I am a potter shaping evil against you and devising a plan against you. Turn now, all of you, from your evil way and amend your ways and your doings. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There is a piece of pottery that graces a shelf in my office. Now, I was tempted to bring it here this morning to show you, um, but I was not confident enough in my own graces and coordination uh, for fear of what might happen to it. So it remains there. So I will describe it for you. This piece of pottery is not very big. It's only about four inches in diameter and it's not even two inches tall. And truth be told, I have walked past it thousands of times over the past couple of years, and I haven't paid much notice to it since the day I moved in my office. And yet today's text gave me pause. So I went over to look at it. It is a small, handcrafted dish that was given to me as an ordination gift. The woman who made it isn't a professional artist. 
She does it as a hobby. I took the dish and I turned it over to inspect it more closely. Its base is round, but the upper rim is more like a square with rounded corners, and it has an almost rope-like design that's imprinted around the rim. And I looked at this small dish and I began to wonder what might have happened when she made it. Did she envision the end product and bring it to be on her very first try? Did she take that indiscriminate lump of clay, throw it on the potter's wheel, moisten her hands with water, anchor her elbows against her body to steady it, and then center it and press it and shape it into the vision that was residing in her mind's eye. Did she do all of that on her first go-around? Or is the dish on my shelf a do-over? What if the clay didn't respond the way she wanted it to? What if it was uncooperative? And what if she had to smash that clay down and begin the process all over again to center and shape, to open it and pull up the sides until its shape and form were just what she wanted it to be? And what if she had to do it over multiple times before it was ready for her to fire it and glaze it? Now, this small dish, I think, is very lovely. Even though in its finished state, if you look at it closely, it's not perfectly round at its base. It's not perfectly symmetrical around the rim. Yet it is still beautiful, and it is still useful. It will hold small items. It would even hold water if I wanted it to. And besides, I like looking at it because it reminds me of who made it and who gave it to me. I imagine the care that she took in making it. Now, I am not a potter either. I have never sat down at a potter's wheel myself. I've only ever watched it, live or on YouTube. And those who do this say that working clay is demanding, that it takes a lot of external force to mold an unremarkable lump of clay into its fully realized creative potential. Now, I just submitted an application for a continuing education program, and one of the questions on the application asked me to reflect on the events or personal growth moments that shaped my sense of who I am in ministry. Perhaps you have done the same, at least informally, whether or not you are in vocational ministry. Perhaps you have reflected on your own life of faith, on those experiences that shaped you and helped you to deepen and to grow in some way. And I would venture a pretty strong guess that when you look at them, 
There's hardly a gentle touch in any of those transformative events. Instead, they are weighty, even forceful as they form us. The circumstance where you find all of your usual lifelines are gone. The thing that you thought you always wanted, well, you found out the hard way it wasn't worth having at all. Maybe it was the conflict you had to work through or the obstacle you had to face or the hurt you experienced, the doubts you had to overcome, the ways you had to change. And that's often the sticking point, at least it is for me. The ways we have to change, to be changed, to be transformed, to be reshaped and reworked over and over again as God is actively at work in us. And even if we don't like it, and I don't, whoever is sitting in this sanctuary probably gets that, at least at some level. As our experiences stack up, we see the lessons we had to learn to become more faithful. And for some, those things aren't in the past, but they might be happening right now. We see how God works through the events and people and even crises in our lives to turn us away from what is destructive and to turn us toward what's life-giving. Now, that's not to say that I believe God is a puppeteer causing these things to happen. I don't. And yet I do believe that God isn't bound by our present circumstances and is even able to take that spoiled material and fashion it into something beautiful and of worth. And even as I hope this rings true for all of us individually, Every commentator I read reiterates that Jeremiah's metaphor is much more about the community than it is even about the individual. For Jeremiah's community needed to change. Judah was ready to forget about its covenant commitment to God, and the prophet Jeremiah warned them they needed to change, to be changed, to respond to the active hand of God in their midst. The community was spoiled, and God would rework and reshape it. Now, we all know that community change is hard, especially where tradition carries the day. We might perfectly like things the way they are, But if we sense that God is somehow reshaping the church for some new context, that could feel like unwelcome news. That sense that God can have that kind of power makes me uncomfortable. For I would rather be in control. I would rather be the one that is shaping the world. I would rather shape God in my image. But the witness of scripture is that even as we exercise our human freedom and even 
when we fail to be faithful, God doesn't just throw us out. Rather, God's full weight is still at work shaping and forming us. Eric Smith observes that potters never waste clay. He says he knows this because he's married to one. He says potters would never just toss used clay out. If it failed somewhere in the process, the potter would recycle it and reclaim it into something new. And so it is with God. Even if and even when we fail to be malleable, even if and even when we resist, God in great mercy gives it yet another go. A story came across my news feed this week about First Presbyterian Church of Homewood, Illinois. This small church went through an assessment process, one that I've also done a lot of work with, And this process was to help them think about their congregation and its changing context. And through this process of self-reflection, the congregation said they discovered that the things that they were passionate about weren't relevant to anyone but themselves. And they said it was painful for them to realize that. And it was painful for them to admit it out loud. And they realized that even though they were wonderful, God-loving people, they were also out of touch. They didn't really know their community. And they weren't connecting with their increasingly multicultural neighbors. And through this process, they came to realize that they not only needed to but they wanted to know their surrounding community. They wanted to show them that they loved them with the deep and abiding and tangible love of God. They came to know that's why they were present there. It was their reason for being. So they decided they would get to know the community around them by gathering them around the table. They invited them to come and to break bread and share a meal with them once a week. They didn't know how long they could do this, or where it would go, or even where the money would come from. But they started nonetheless. And then they felt called to keep at it. And their ministry changed, and it grew, and it transformed them from the inside out as they found new ways to give and share with their neighbors. Now, interestingly, I noted that the article says nothing about whether or not their membership grew or whether their budget increased. It talked about how they were reformed, reshaped, to live in beloved community with people they didn't previously know. They took a holy risk, not knowing what would come of it. For me, it illustrates what John Debevoy wrote. 
There is never a report that the Lord will reshape the people into something other than what the potter, the creator, intends. For reshaping will not look like disaster, but resurrection. Or in the words of Fred Pratt Green's hymn text, the Church of Christ in every age beset by change, but spirit-led must claim and test its heritage and keep on rising from the dead. I believe God's hand has been and continues to be on this community of faith, molding and refashioning us to respond as the world changes around us. I reread the history of Third Church. And although we're in the same sanctuary as we were in the 1890s, we have changed. If we hadn't, we probably wouldn't be here anymore. At places along the way, God called us to change and respond in faithful ways. And I suspect that in some cases it went more smoothly than others. Yeah, you know, don't you? It was probably even messy and chaotic more than once. With every new person who's entered our midst, with every demographic change around us, with new urgent questions and crises in each generation, God has been at the potter's wheel taking this old clay and remaking something new. Have you ever seen an artistic process that was perfectly neat? Where no paint spattered, where no hands ever got dirty, where no materials ever got strewn about, where no clay ever resisted? Imagine what it might have been like to debate the merits of women's ordination here more than 50 years ago. Or way back in 1987, talk about openly welcoming persons who are LGBTQ. And even now, we work through the day-to-day tensions and competing goals when people who are vulnerable enter this building for food or shelter. We're forced to examine our preconceived notions, to put ourselves in that person's shoes, the shoes of someone who doesn't have access to the privileges that we take for granted. Sometimes the church responds well, And sometimes the church is a misshapen vessel. An Art and Faith blog by Lynn Miller showed photos and talked about the work of George Orr, who many consider to be America's first art potter. According to Miller, critics said that his work lacked proportion, grace, and dignity. You see, his creations had very thin clay walls that he would twist and contort into distinctive and unusual shapes. 
He did so not to reshape the clay into a perfect pot, but to create something unique. She said that Orr saw beauty in the crumpled, the folded, the imperfect, where others saw only oddness and irregularity and difference. That sounds like grace, she said. The clay matters. The potter matters. Because the potter determines what forms are acceptable and what forms will be reshaped. Now, in addition to my imperfect yet beautiful little ceramic bowl, I have two more pieces of pottery on a different office shelf. They were ordination gifts as well. And these other two are a set, a bread plate and an accompanying chalice. They represent the bread of life and the cup of salvation. Together they signify Jesus come to earth in flesh and blood on behalf of the whole world. And unlike my slightly lopsided little bowl, the chalice and the plate are symmetrical and perfectly round. They are different creations. The bowl that I have on one shelf is useful and beautiful and imperfect. And the plate and the chalice that I have on another shelf are perfectly proportioned. And yet each is made from clay. And each has been shaped by the potter. It occurs to me that maybe they shouldn't be separated from one another. Maybe they all belong together, side by side. Maybe I'll have to go and rearrange my office shelves. Amen.